So I, I want you to imagine a society and culture where a father's love for his children would have been even hard to imagine. By law in this culture, a father had virtual life and death power over his entire house. He could cast any of them out. He could sell them as slaves. He could kill them. When a baby was born, the baby would be set at his father's feet. And if the father picked the baby up, then the baby stayed with the family. And if the father turned his back to the baby, the baby was disposed of. There was a book written about this history and this pagan culture. It's named Ecclesiasticus. It's not in the Bible, but it's a history book that tells us about this time. And this is what it says to fathers. A father who loves his son will whip him and beat him often while he is still a child. A father should not pamper his son, play with him, or share in his laughter. And it was this culture in a city named Ephesus that a group of Christians lived to which Paul would write a letter named Ephesians. And he would tell them, you're not like that anymore. You're not like that. You're a new creation. Now live in a way that demands an explanation to these people. Parent your children in such a way that looks different from them. You're in Christ now. You can live like it. And so that's where we've been the first three months of the year. We learned our identity in Christ, that we are in him. We are made new when we trust him. The old is gone and the new has come. And now we've been learning how to live out of that identity. And that identity leads us to living differently. So with that in mind, we're going to look at a passage today in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 to 4, I invite you to open your Bibles. Ephesians is in the the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have black Bibles in the seat in front of you. You can take one of those out. Ephesians chapter 6 can be found on page 816 of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please take that home. We, We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So as we get going and as you're finding that passage, I want to share one clarifying statement with you and four principles that I I pray are going to guide our time together in our conversation about this subject. First, a clarifying statement. You might be sitting here and, and you're thinking, great, I don't have kids yet, or my kids are grown up, or I don't have a relationship with my child anymore. What does this have to do with me? I believe it has something for all of us because we all have relationships in our lives. And while this verse is primarily directed at parents, it's in a section of scripture about how we relate to one another. And my prayer is that this message will help everyone because some of us have kids and and we're in the thick of it. Some of us, um, our kids are grown and we're just in a bit of a different season. Some of you are grandmas and grandpas, and you're even helping raise your grandkids. Some of you are, are uncles and aunts, and you will see kids at holidays. Some of you have friends who have kids, and they're going to come to you to ask for help. And just by being here, you are part of a faith family, and we have a responsibility to pass our faith on to the next generation. And one more group, you have kids, and they are littles right now, and they're, they're just little, and they, they don't exhibit some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And so to you, I say, just wait. <laughs> just wait. 
it will be helpful. I wish I would have known this stuff before I became a parent. So no matter where you find yourself today, I, I pray this is helpful. But the Bible does have specific things to say to parents, and Paul addresses them here. So I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is going to speak to all of us. So that is the clarifying statement. Four principles. I think these will, will help shape our time together. If you're following on your notes, we need to know these things. Number one, if you're following on your notes, God has given us children by his grace for his glory. God has given us children by his grace for his glory. Children are a gift from God and we're responsible for stewarding them for God's glory. And that sounds obvious, right? But the reason I say that is because it's hard to remember that at one in the morning. It's hard to remember that when a small child is blatantly disrespecting you in your face. It's hard to remember that when your teenager makes a big mistake. And it's hard to remember that when your adult child makes decisions that you don't agree with and there's not much you can do. It's hard to remember that God has given us his children by his grace for his glory. And what happens when we don't remember that is we turn our children into obstacles and problems and sometimes even enemies instead of gifts from the Lord. So we've got to remember that. They are gifts. They're gifts for his grace. Number two, the goal of biblical parenting is to help our kids know Christ. The goal of biblical parenting is to help our kids know Christ. And this needs to be said because the world tells us the goal of parenting looks like this. To help our children get the best education. To help them become great athletes. To be the best at everything they do. To have a good looking boyfriend or girlfriend. To get a great job. To great, make great money. And we have to understand as followers of Jesus, our goal in parenting is to help our kids know Christ. It's not to win trophies that will collect dust in our basements one day. Number three, if you're following in your notes, being godly parents does not ensure that we'll raise godly kids. We've just got to know this. If you look at Proverbs verse, chapter 22, verse 6 on the screen, many of us are familiar with this. Would you read this with me? It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Other translations say, uh, bring up a child. Train a child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from their faith. I used to think this was the formula for raising a godly child. But what I've learned is this is a proverb, not a promise. And a proverb is a piece of wisdom, and it shows us how life generally goes. If you raise your children in a godly way, there's a better chance that they will grow up to follow Jesus as their Savior, but it's not a promise. And two things happen when we turn this into a promise. One, it leads to unfounded pride among parents whose children make a decision to follow Jesus. We think we did it. And two, it leads to unfounded guilt in those who did the best they could and pointed their kids to Christ and their kids ultimately made their own decisions to not follow him. It is a proverb, not a promise. And being a godly parent does not ensure that we'll raise godly kids, but we've got to give them a chance. We've got to give them a chance. Which leads to the fourth principle. If you're following in your notes, we need to be parents who pray for our kids daily. We need to be parents who pray for our kids daily. Parents who are desperately dependent on God for help. David Platt, a pastor in Virginia, says this. 
He says, parenting makes us desperate for God's help. Some days I think success equals keeping my children out of prison. Other days I think success is keeping myself out of prison. (laughs) And then he says this, both make me dependent upon God. We've got to be people who pray for our children. So what we've done for you is we've put a month worth of sheets on every chair in here that you can pray specifically for your children or your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, for friends, kids, whoever you want to pray for. But you can pray specific. You don't have to pray, God, be with them, bless them, help them. You can pray those things, but you can pray for salvation and humility and compassion and kindness and mission. So we want to give you that because we need to be people of prayer. So with those principles in mind, let's look at what God has to say about parenting through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. On the screen, I'm going to put Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. Would you read this together with me? Paul starts by saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So I want to be up front with you and and tell you this is not where we're going to spend our time this morning. This is how Paul begins this section of scripture, still, still dealing with relationships, but we don't have a lot of kids in our services. They're in fantastic Sunday school classes and age-appropriate worship services, but we don't have a lot of kids in our services, and this verse is written to children for children. But what I do is I like to focus on verses that are for children and exclude the verses that teach me how to behave. And so if you want to listen to a message, it's a great message on honoring your parents, either now that you're an adult or how your children should honor you. You can listen to a message that Jeff gave. If you want to write this down, it was on October 13th, 2013, in our Ten Commandments series called Honor Your Parents. But those verses are for children. And so what I do, right? I mean, I know the texts that tell my children to obey me and to honor me. And my son might say, well, why do I have to do that? And you all can probably answer this. My response is, because I told you to do it, because I'm in charge of you, because God told you to obey me, and God told you to honor me, and it's, made, it, it, it's supposed to be that way. We've all said that. We've all said that. I know these verses for children, but I look over the verses that tell me how I should treat my kids. And I love what Jeff did last week in the, the, the marriage message. He talked about how we're responsible for ourselves. Paul didn't say, husbands, get your wives to submit to you. And he didn't say, wives, get your husbands to love you and to act like Christ-like leaders. And what Paul's not saying here is he's not saying, parents, get your kids to be obedient. Parents, get your kids to honor you. And parents, get your kids to obey you. He's not saying that. So for our time together this morning, I want to talk specifically about verse 4 that's addressed to parents because we're ultimately responsible for ourselves. So we come to verse 4. Would you read that with me on your notes? It's the first grade box on your notes. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I love words. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this verse and we're just going to look at the words in it. And so I've left some space for you because I honestly think the Holy Spirit is going to speak to each of us differently and you can just write down what he's saying to you as we talk about these words. The first word I didn't put on there, I'm not going to spend much time on it, is fathers. We talked about the culture into which Paul was writing this. He was addressing these fathers that only knew how to raise their kids in one way. Today, this would say fathers and mothers, because moms and dads both have a responsibility to raise their children and point them to the Lord. So fathers and mothers, and the first thing he says is, do not exasperate. Do not exasperate. This is such a good word. It means two different things. The first thing it means is do not cause your child to lose heart. To lose heart. And this is when a child's spirit deflates. You can see it in the droop of the shoulders, the fallen countenance, the discouragement, the what's the use expression. And they're defeated. So it means don't cause them to lose heart. And the second thing it means is don't Don't provoke them to anger. Provoke to anger. And while some kids lose heart, some erupt in anger, or they just have this underlying anger and resentment all the time. And the child fights back as though their emotional survival depends on it. Let me be really careful here. Is Paul telling parents they should never do or say anything that might make their kids feel angry or discouraged? Not at all. Children are sometimes going to feel angry when asked to do things they'd rather not do. This may even be a frequent occurrence for some children, and that's because correction can lead to short-term anger and discouragement, but we're not responsible for that reaction in our kids. It will cause it if we're parenting. So let me give you an example of of what this isn't. So last Halloween, my family was hosting a a neighborhood outreach. We put flyers in everybody's mailbox. We invited everybody to our garage where we serve chili and hot dogs because we wanted to be a light in a neighborhood on a day where people actually come to your house. So we had this all set up. Ben, my oldest son, asked if he could be Batman. I said, sure. You know what? That's not a witch. It's not wicked. It's not demonic. It has nothing to do with evil. You can be Batman. Cool. Benign enough. So then he says, hey, Dad, could I get on our roof and jump off as people approach our house? (laughs) And I thought to myself, that is awesome. But absolutely not. We, we want to be welcoming and inviting, son, not for people to run off. And I don't want you to die. It, would it have been okay if he was discouraged or angry at me in the moment? Absolutely. Absolutely it would have been. And I, I should actually probably expect that from a kid when they don't get their way. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about controlling our children's emotions, but listen, he's talking about the fact that we are capable of controlling whether we provoke our children to anger or lose heart. And so is anybody sitting here and you're thinking, do I do this? Is, is that why we have these outbursts in my house? Is that why my kids are discouraged or angry at me all the time? Or what's going on? How, how do I know? 
And so I want to ask you to turn your notes over. I have put, um, I'm going to call this my top 10 list for exasperating our kids. You could also call it Brian's greatest hits. Um, I've done all of these. And I, I continue to do these every, every week. I'm thankful God's a God of forgiveness. But ways we exasperate our kids, there's probably many more. I just want to give you 10. They, they get exasperated when we lack discipline. In a few minutes, we're going to t- look at how we're to give instruction and training and discipline. But we, we need to provide discipline. If we lack discipline, we don't give kids clear boundaries. Kids need clear boundaries, and then they need to be given freedom within those boundaries. And many times we lack discipline because we want to either be popular with our kids, or if we, we just want to be honest with each other today, we'd rather sit on the couch and watch TV and hang out instead of parent them. Two, if we provide too much discipline, too much discipline, I got to remember my nine-year-old and six-year-old are going to act like nine-year-old and olds and six-year-olds. And when I forget that, I become very strict with my sons and I provoke them to anger. I demand too much and they can resent me. I'm more interested in rule following than I am relationship. Three, continuing with discipline. When there's inconsistent discipline, we need to set expectations and then follow three. Through when we're not consistent or we use a different consequence each time something happens, it exasperates kids because they don't know what to expect got to be consistent. Number four, when we're overly critical, we simply point out all the ways they mess up and we never catch them doing anything right. And, and listen, when I'm critical with my kids, what I usually do is I shame and guilt them for what they've done. Showing favoritism is a way to exasperate your kids. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob. Rebecca favored Jacob over Esau. Jacob favored Joseph over his 11 other brothers. David favored Solomon. None of those went well. And for parents to compare their children with each other, especially in the presence of the children, can be devastating to the child less favored, and it's not good for the favored child either. We exasperate them if we do that. When we set unrealistic goals, when we do this, we set kids up for exasperation because we raise the bar so high, and we have these expectations in our head that we sometimes never even communicate, and then we get mad when they don't meet them. They feel like they're never good enough, and it leads to discouragement and losing heart or anger. Number seven, we can exasperate them when we threaten them with rejection. If you don't do this, I won't love you as much. And we may never say those words, but we can communicate that with actions too. We can give them the cold shoulder or do a little bit less with them. But we can exasperate them if we do that. Number eight, when we act hypocritically, When we tell them to live one way and then we live another because we can't expect our children to rise above our example. When someone calls for us on the phone and we tell our child to tell the person we're not home and then we get mad at them when they lie. Or we tell them not to use certain words then we use those words. Listen, friends, one of the most important things you can do for your child is to grow into the likeness of Jesus. They need to see your walk match your talk. And if you hold them to a different standard, it will lead to them losing heart or being angry. Number nine, never admit when you're wrong. We just said one of the most important things we can do is grow into the likeness of Jesus. And that means apologizing to them when we mess up. Your kids don't need a perfect parent. They need a real parent. 
They need somebody who recognizes they're not perfect and they need God. And so we need to admit when we're wrong and apologize to them. And number 10, when we don't keep our promises. And this can be little or big, but man, do kids remember what we say. Like five months ago, remember what we say. But you told me we would do this. And, I, and it, it can provoke anger or lead to discouragement when we make promises and we don't keep them. I don't know if you can identify with any of those. I, I'm learning and I want to get better at this. And with God's help, I will. I'm so thankful that God's a God of grace and forgiveness because I, I mess up all the time at these. And what we want to do right now is we just want to hit the pause button. We don't often slow down to hear God's voice and where he may be trying to break into our lives. But we want to take just a couple minutes and ask you to consider where and how you might be exasperating your children. Where is it? And for some of you, God has brought somebody else to mind. It's not your child. It's a relationship. And here's what I want to say to you. Go with that because I think that's the Holy Spirit leading you to where you need to make a relationship right. And so wherever God is speaking to you right now, we want to give you a couple minutes to think about this. And the reason we want you to name this is because God will meet us where we are. He'll meet us where we are and he'll help us, but we need to admit it. We need to admit we need help and we need to ask him for it. Listen, this is not a time to beat yourself up. It is not a time to condemn yourself. You are going to mess up. And when we do, we run to him and we ask for forgiveness. But what we want to do is give you a chance to name this and bring it into the light so the Lord can heal it. So we just want to give you a couple minutes of silence, a gift, to confess where you find yourself and ask him for help. Would you read this prayer of confession and assurance with me on the screen?
It says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. All the prophets testify about Christ, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God will meet us where we are and he can help us where we are. We're gonna mess up and we need him. And so Paul began this verse four with a negative and then he finishes with a positive. Would you read that gray box with me again as we continue on in verse four? It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So bring them up. Rather than exasperate, instead of exasperating, bring them up. And this is this beautiful word, which means to nourish them or feed them. And this is the context of of which we train and instruct. It's a nourishing. Just like food helps them grow, our parenting helps them grow into people who will hopefully follow Jesus. So, the question then becomes, how do we bring them up? How do we nourish them? And we're told to bring them up by training, training them. Training entails the idea of correcting. It's correcting. We are to correct our kids, but but listen to this. This is so, so important. It is correction for future good. It is correction for future good. It's not just pointing out mistakes because we're inconvenienced. And this training involves helping a child amend, alter, and improve their choices and conduct. And and so in, in essence, what we're doing is we're training a child to do the right and righteous thing, which is called wisdom. We correct for wisdom's sake. Now, let me venture into some controversial waters. Some translations use the word discipline instead of training. And so I want you to know from a personal standpoint, again, I struggle with this. This, what I'm about to say, has changed my life the past 12 months. And I'm just praying that my sharing with you will will help change yours if you struggle with this too. So again, we, we left this section open for you to write whatever the Holy Spirit prompted you to write, but I am going to ask everybody to write this under training and discipline. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is not punishment. Let me share with you the definition of punishment. Punishment is the infliction of a penalty as retribution. It is 
The infliction of a penalty is retribution. And if we're honest, we don't want to discipline our kids for future good as much as we want to punish them because we're angry. We want to get back at them. And Paul says, if you do that, you will exasperate them. Paul's reminding us, right? You're new creations. You're different. Don't discipline like the world disciplines. Discipline for wisdom. Because discipline is punishment, leads kids to acting the way we want them to act outwardly and resenting us inwardly. When we discipline this way, we're trying to control our kids through behavior modification and people-pleasing, not wise decision-making. And when we use discipline to punish instead of train, what we do is we shame and guilt and fear our kids into obedience. And we have exasperated kids who've lost heart or are provoked to anger. And here's what I notice in my kids. When I use discipline as punishment, it makes my kids angry at me instead of angry at their sin. And and that doesn't help anybody. I want them to be angry about their sin and recognize their need for repentance. And I've found that discipline as punishment happens most often when I react instead of respond. When I react instead of respond. Emerson Agerich wrote a book called Love and Respect in the Family. I would recommend it for anybody here. But he writes this. I want to share this with you on the screen. He says, our reactions reflect our sin nature. But asking for God's help calms our hearts. As parents, we need to show compassion, the kind that psalmist described when he compared the Lord's compassion to the compassion a father is to have on his children in Psalm 103, 13, the Lord is our model for showing compassion. And this is so important, friends. The, the reason we don't discipline with punishment is that is not the way Jesus disciplines us. We never see him do that in Scripture. He never shames people or guilts people. He never yells at people. He never demeans people. What he does is he corrects people. He rebukes sometimes. He encourages. He calls people up to something better than what they're currently doing. He gives them opportunities to fail within certain boundaries and then come back and talk about it without being made to feel shamed. He talked to people about their failures without them feeling like you owe me or I'm going to make you pay. Jesus' motive of discipline is always love in order to correct and restore for future good. His motive is love to correct and restore for future good. Jesus disciplines us because he loves us and we must discipline our kids out of love. And so I found it's been helpful to me as I'm about to do something that I'm going to regret for me to ask myself this question. Is this how the Lord would discipline me right now? And if I'm about to do something that's not motivated by love, then I need to pray. So before you are about ready to scream at me right now because your children deserve certain things, or before you're about ready to fill out a note, let me be clear. Just because discipline is not punishment doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Jesus gave consequences. 
But let me be clear, consequences are never given to punish. You must be able to say sincerely, I do this because I love you, not to punish you. I do this to provide correction in your life because that's not the right path to go down. I don't have time to go into what appropriate consequences are for your children because children all respond to different things. And I can't answer that for you, but I can tell you that our motivation has to be love when we do give consequences. It should be loving correction for the future good of the child. Training and discipline is responding. Punishment is reacting. And maybe in the heat of battle, before a consequence comes out of your mouth, maybe it would do you good to pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me respond, not react. Lord, help me respond, not react. Because praying to God, remember the quote we looked at, calms our hearts and I believe can help us not exasperate our children. We are given children by his grace for his glory so we can bring our kids up with the training and discipline of the Lord. And we're told to give them instruction. And instruction's another great word, which means spoken word. Spoken word. And this is teaching and counsel and warning and encouragement. So get this. I love how Paul balances these words. He picked these words on purpose. They're not arbitrary. And what he's saying is, Point out right from wrong with training and discipline. Correct them. And then instruct them to a better way. Point out right from wrong with training and discipline and correct them. And then point out a better way. Instruct them. We've talked about this in my life group. Do you know why it's so hard to train and discipline and instruct like this? Because it takes time and patience. And it's usually easier for me to yell across the house than to walk across the house and have a conversation. And it's easier for me to power up on my kid and put an end to something instead of teach something. I don't really want to train and instruct them. I want to control them because I want them to do what I want them to do right now. And that's not teaching. That's not training. And that's not instruction. And what usually happens, at least in my house, is it leads to exasperation, provoking anger, or discouragement. There's a better way. There's a better way. Paul is telling us there is a better way, but it takes time and it takes patience. And the words of Paul cut me to the heart this week in 1 Corinthians 4.14. In the message paraphrase, Paul wrote these words. He said, I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around you who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. That's how I want to parent my children. It takes time and it takes patience to point out right from wrong and correct them, training and discipline, and instruct them to a better way. And we're told this training, discipline, and instruction is of the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's not from self-help books or some book that you get at the library, although there are some really helpful books. It's from the Lord. 
And parents, what this means is that you have everything you need to disciple your child. You have the word of God. You don't need to be seminary trained. You don't need to be a theologian to read the Bible with your child and pray with your child. The best Bible teachers in this church are sitting in this room right now. It's not me or Jeff or Steve or Brian Wilmarth or Lee or or Chris Paoni. The best Bible teachers are the moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and family members of kids. And God has designed it that way. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to stay a step ahead. And that means you need to be growing in Christ to pass your faith on to the next generation. Moms and dads, you have such an important role to play. God has trusted you with your children by his grace for his glory. And with his help, you can raise them and point them to Jesus to give them a chance. You're going to mess up a lot. But with his help, you can do it. And friends, Paul wrote these words so that we might know how to parent our kids the way God parents us. He's a good father. He's a good father who loves his children and he loves us so much that even when we wanted nothing to do with him, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to rescue us. And we're not told that it's the guilt of the Lord or the shame of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his love and his kindness that leads us to turn from our sin and turn to our need for a savior. And when we repent from our sin and we place our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we go from being dead to being alive. And it's then that God starts teaching us how to live and how to parent. Just like in the verse we saw today. And God doesn't teach us by exasperating us, provoking us to anger, or discouraging us. He trains us, he corrects us, he disciplines us, he instructs us, he rebukes us. And yes, there are consequences for our disobedience. But he does it all in love with our future good in mind because he is for us. He wants a future good for us and he's willing to take the time and be patient with us to make it happen. He is a good father. And I pray that we'll follow his example and raise kids in this way and point them to Christ. Can we pray? God, I pray a simple prayer over our church family right now. Lord, help us respond and not react. Because when we respond, we take a moment and we turn to you. And we know that you will meet us where we are and you will help us where we are. And so Jesus, we need your help. This parenting thing is one of the hardest things in the world. So God, we need you. We ask for your help. Would you help us become more like your son, Jesus Christ, and help us parent our children the way you parent us as a good father. It's in Jesus' name I pray this over our family. Amen.